always punch up. This is the Punchy Panda Podcast. Thank you for joining me. My name is Mark Keith. Keep good, keep on Twitter, and you are now listening to the Punchy Panda Podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. Today we're going to be going over the UFC 232 from the John Jones main event angle. I'll come at you guys a little bit later on this week um, before the main event drops to give you a little insight on what I think of the rest of the card. But I've just been so overwhelmed gathering information and digging deeper into all the pieces and information that is getting out there to different sources of media and different people on Twitter. I've just been compiling that information. I've just been really holding off on making this podcast because it being John Jones fight week, you never really know what will happen. So I'll start off at the top with the things that we do know. We do know that there will be a bout at UFC 232 instead of being in Las Vegas, it will be at the LA Forum in Inglewood, California. That's right. The event was moved due to the Nevada State Athletic Commission not authorizing a license to John Jones due to 60 or so odd picograms of a, of a long-term metabolite in his system stemming from a test in early September. The Nevada State Athletic Commission wanted to gather and meet to determine if they wanted to grant John Jones a license. Of course, they do it being the holiday season, there was no time for that meeting to happen. So since Andy Foster and the California Athletic Commission had already reviewed John Jones' case, they had already licensed him earlier on in the um in that um the week prior, it seemed that they would give him a license. There were caveats to this license, but it was announced from Dana White and Jeff Nowinski that USADA believes that John Jones had no intentional wrongdoing, served his suspension, and there was no new ingestion. So Dana White, in his own words, said the fight had to happen. Now, just based on the facts that we know about the event, I'm going to separate things that we want to talk about, the the drug, we're going to separate things that are overarching, we're just going to talk about the event that's actually happening on Saturday in California. Just for reference, California, the event, and the T-Moto event arena are about four hours apart. So, Dana White and the UFC is asking fans who recently bought a ticket or in advance to the T-Mobile Arena to repurchase tickets at a new forum, literally, and to make that travel time. There will be no compensation given to the fans besides priority tickets, which have already gone on sale. They went on sale Christmas, the day after Christmas, believe it or not. As far as additional compensation, there will be an additional tax upon the entire event due to Nevada being a non-tax state and California being a, believe it, um, I believe to be a heavily taxed state. Zero compensation to fighters, zero compensation anywhere for that. There was one compensation given, and that would be for um, weigh-ins. Weigh-in times were extended for fighters, so they will have more time to weigh in, and I think that is something that was a good thing. Additionally, there was a charter of flights for fight 
for fighters in their camps to go from Las Vegas to L.A. to the new site. And they did create a makeshift media day on the on the fly. So those are three positives that the UFC was able to come out of this event with. Um, one thing that we do know about the event is that the decision to move the event was, of course, not taking the fighters into consideration. Not even the main event fighter, Alexander Gufferson, knew that the event was getting moved before the, it was announced. In addition to that, we don't know if John Jones knew if the event was going to be moved before or after the that uh, initial announcement. And these are the things that we know. We know that these things are facts. These things have been verified and these things that we can hone as true. Now, as far as the numbers of the event, I know that about 10,000 tickets were sold I know that it's not a complete sellout just yet, but they are expecting that. I know that um, Dana White has went on the record and say that the UFC is looking to lose $6 million on the gate alone, only recouping $1 million by moving the fight. So it's very powerful for him to say, even when taking those losses, that the fight has to happen. I will preface this part of the podcast to emphasize a moment a moment in the press conference that happened yesterday on Thursday, John Jones said that most people don't know anything about chemistry because they haven't opened a chemistry book since high school. That's a fact. I've not done said thing, but I will preface this whole section with saying that I'm not an expert. I'm not a genius. I'm taking the information compiled that was given to me by the media and that I've discovered using my own sources and compiling what we think that we know about exactly what happened. So we believe that, first off, let's kick off the topic with the dysfunctional breakdown between athletic commissions. It seems that there's a miscommunication between California, USADA, and Nevada. Seems that USADA and California are on the same page, and since the governing body in Nevada is not on the same page, the event has to be moved. This is something that normally doesn't happen. A good point that Luke Thomas of MMAfighting.com pointed out that unilaterally, if you're suspended or unable to get a license in one state, the next state honors that said suspension. That's why, and how suspensions work. All the governing bodies of uh, MMA are all separate by state by state. So that is something that stands out to me as something that's unprecedented. But we don't know this. All we know is that he wasn't able to get a license at this time in Nevada. We don't know if Nevada disagreed. All we know is they weren't had time to make a meeting. No one knows what a pictogram or a pictogram is. No one, except for the experts, at which, to my knowledge, I've not seen anyone come out online being an expert of this field, stamping their name on this claim. Jeff Novinsky is citing studies of previous scholars. But no scholar that's currently actively working on this has come out to support the claims that the UFC is making. And I feel like that is something else that is a bit alarming, that's a bit strange. Another thing that I feel is not a, a bit strange, but I do know that, and it's not being reported, that John Jones actually tested positive twice in September and August for these 
micro traces of the long-term meta, um, metabolites. Uh, um, spell check me on Twitter on that word. They don't know the time span. They don't know the lifespan. John Jones is saying it could be in his system for anywhere from seven years. Chael Sonnen on the weigh-in show said it could be in your system for life. But we don't know why. We know why the USADA doesn't report. Um, USADA doesn't port, report all tests. They only report tests that come up positive to the extent of a punishment. They used to just report all the tests coming up. But now they've stopped doing that. That's why the August test wasn't reported. Um, of note, this is something that's been in his system. They're claiming since his original test versus Daniel Cormier when he was originally suspended back in July 2017. If that is the case, they're um, claiming a Jeff Stavisky, um liaison USADA. Well, not liaison to USADA. He doesn't work for USADA. That's also a misconception. He works for the UFC as, um, I don't know his official title, but he just works closely with USADA since he has a great working relationship with them. Pulsing is something he brought up, that the microtraces of the metabolites can pulse in the system. So some tests, they come up nothing. Other tests, they come up in pictograms. And picograms. And that is the evidence that he's using for why... A, the test is coming up again. I mean, the positive results came up again. And B, as a result of the positive results coming up from a previous test that he's already served time for, they believe this is also why he has not re-ingested. A lot of what we think we know is that there's a difference between Frank Mir, Tom Lawler, Josh Barnett, and many other people who've had similar amounts of banned substances in their system, who've had longer suspensions. Jeff Dominski again went on Joe Rogan's podcast and he explained that everyone has been sanctioned, no matter how much is in their system. John Jones went to arbitration. He was originally facing four years and these sanctions were reduced. But in a very important part that differs from their cases, when John Jones went to arbitration and his sentence was reduced, that's just like Frank Mir had the opportunity to do. Tom Lawler had the opportunity to do. Some of these people did not go to arbitrations. Frank Mir did go. I'm sorry, not Frank Mir. Josh Barnett did go to arbitration, and you saw that he was exonerated, though it did take a long time, but no time served. So what they're saying is even though it's still in his system, well, they, the experts, Jeff Nowitzki of the UFC, say even though it's still in the system, this is a result of a test he's already served, was tested positive and served his time for. So he should not be re-penalized. So they're under the impression that since this is, traces have been in the system this entire time, a re-penalization would be unfair to him. Which is Obviously, what Andy Foster and the um, California Athletic Commission also believe, which is why they are sanctioning the fight. But something that is a, a bigger issue is that we don't know if there's been a reinjection. We, I'm not a scientist. No one in the MA community is a scientist, and no scientists have gone on record. So to just make claims like that without actual evidence and with and 
I, I went to school for psychology, so I understand studies and using studies to back up what you say, but that's not evidence to, to support your claims. Well, th- those are evidence to support your claims, but that doesn't make your claim true. Case by case is all different, and, it, and that seems to be the problem. It seems to be normally a fighter who, who can't get licensed while it's in his system, and now that's making inception for one person. Or the athletic commission decided that he, since we have granted him a license, he can continue even though he has something in his system, which is something that's also weird. It seems that ideals are shifting and rules are also shifting with them. And that's something that's bad for the sport. That's bad for this event. And it looks bad on John Jones, who by all accounts could be completely innocent. I personally believe in the cocaine theory. Um, Jeff Novinsky also verified that this is could be a possibility, but he's not a scientist. He even said himself he's not an expert. Since Jeff Novinsky is not an expert in any of these cases, he can't be the leading person that we rely on as far as science, as far as knowledge of these individual cases, and knowledge of these drugs. He's reading notes from his colleagues, just like I read notes from you guys on Twitter, just like you guys read notes from on Twitter as well, just like anyone could read a study. He's doing the same thing, only he has direct information from USADA. And because he's not an expert, and because it's just direct information from the body that's basically giving John Jones a pass, not to, not a pass into the sense of you can do drugs and do whatever you want, but saying that you even though you failed the drug test, the amounts in your system pass as far as our thresholds. He's not a leading expert. We need someone else to can verify that these studies and what he's saying is true, that is irrelevant of the USADA body and the UFC. Keep good, keep on Twitter. Hit me back with all your responses. Anything you like, disliked, anything you want me to improve, just let me know there. I appreciate it. Get in my DMs. Every time I think about this whole situation with UFC 232, something really sticks in my mind. And the reason why I didn't want to make this video too early, everything comes out so quickly with John Jones and every stories change and and this changed multiple times with me attempting to make this video so i've stopped and re-recorded and done it over and over again to make sure everything's consistent for you guys but one person sticks in my mind and someone that you probably don't even know is fighting on this card it's Corey anderson who's traveling from um i believe he's um I don't think he's fighting out of New York anymore. Uh, I cannot remember, um, but I believe he was fighting with Frank, um, fighting out of New Jersey with Frank Yeager. I could be wrong, but traveled across the country with his seven-month pregnant wife to Las Vegas, and he has to somehow work through this stress of dealing with his family, getting new plans, getting people who shouldn't even be in this situation okayed and straight while he has to prepare for a fight of course the ufc's tried to make things better chartered flights and things like that but at the end of the day this is something that he as a man in the family has to do someone else that comes to mind is just 
the Swedish fans in general, they traveled across the world to see Alexander Gustafsson fight. And they land in a country where maybe they don't speak English or they're, they're completely out of their element, out of, not even in our same climate. And they have to navigate a four-hour trip to a completely different city, rebuy tickets and hotel just to see their person commit. And obviously think about the, the hit that each of the fighters is going to take personally, just from moving the event publicly, emotionally, physically with the weight cut, economically with the taxes. And it just circles over two things, fans, family, and of course, fights and fighters. These things are important, but it seems that the UFC slacks on these things a lot. The notion of the UFC fighters and brass being a family has long since been an illusion and has the veil has been wiped away very swiftly. And I feel like starting in 2016 and definitely 2017, but coming into 2019, it is abruptly clear that the promotion will move on without its fighters and the promotion will move in a way where it will only generate money. With that said, something has to be done to mitigate this. This is a big, big issue. The UFC needs its fighters. The fighters need representation that's going to push them and propel themselves forward. I won't say anything on the podcast about specific managers, but there has to be some way where fighters can come together collectively to where event things like this won't happen. For instance, and I don't can't think of any other sports, any other sport if their main event, let's say the Super Bowl, if the event needed to be moved, I'm guarantee you that the players would know about that before that decision was made. That is only agreed. That is only done through collective bargaining. That's only done through some type of unionization or working with the promotion directly. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that if things things can't continue to go on, I was I heard mumblings. Can't remember the fighter who fights this weekend, but it was just like, hey, if none of us get on the flight, there'll be no event. We don't have to uproot our families. We don't have to make these such drastic changes. But someone's going to have to take a pay cut. Someone's going to have to make it so the rest of the fighters can see that there is a future. It wasn't the sacrifice of Leslie Smith. It wasn't this event, obviously. So I just don't know what it will be. It's not the... Sale of the UFC is not the incoming TV deal that the UFC just signed. I don't know what it possibly could be. When it comes directly to the fans, this is one of the sourest moments to be a supporter of the UFC financially. This is something that, like I said, no other franchise that I can even think of, I'm not even talking about sports, I'm talking about entertainment, period, would do to their fans and it's drastic it's very drastic it's very very demeaning to them and at the end of the day it's costing everybody a pretty penny but it's costing the fans trust is something that you can't buy you can't buy trust from your fans and now 
But it is what it is, as Dana White has said. You can't get it back. I know personally, I won't be traveling across country for any UFC event ever. That's personally. I'll I'll never do it. Luckily, I live in uh, I live in a place where UFC's events happen frequently, so I don't have to really worry about that per se. But I can watch MMA on a local level. I can watch MMA free on the zone or other platforms. This pay per view is just something that just should not be supported. They are banking, literally and figuratively, their chips on pay per view here. So if the people buy, nothing will be done differently. They put this event on to make pay per view money, not to make money at the ticket at the gate, but to make pay per view money. And that's just saying, fans. I know we for, we forgot about you on the local level, but internationally, please help us, give us our money. It's a plea. And as fans and as MMA insiders, we have to see that. And we have to decide, you know, no, we're not going to vote our dollar here. We're not going to put our stamp of approval on something that shouldn't happen. Personally, I believe the event should be going on. If all the fighters are okay with it, not that they have a choice, but... I want the fighters to get paid. The only way they get paid is to fight. So to move their, um, to make everyone not get paid for three months would suck. And I don't want that for anybody. So I'm glad that they made a way to make the fight happen. But I still think there should be incentives and compensations for fighters in this situation. Because it's not all on them. Yes, they're getting paid now, but they're getting paid less. I bet you they would want all their money if they had that opportunity. But they don't have that opportunity because they don't have any representation. And I'm not going to make the argument that the fighters don't know what's best for them or that they don't have the information available to them because that's not true. Last year was the year of the MMA um, unionization and organization springing up. There was three different ones. They know that a collectives are being made. There's been a, um, a UFC um, class action lawsuit going on for, for several years. They know actions are being made. But you have to be the ones that collect and come together to make something new happen for the UFC. A few more things that I want to get to talking about with this whole situation is that a lot of people want to take something away from this situation they want to have takeaways. They want to have lessons to be learned. And I believe that that information is actually going to come out after the fact. Once we have, you know, like Nevada did, get a little more information in depth. Um, just taking time to review all this stuff and not making on the spot haste decisions. We'll be able to get a lot of clarity in this. And I don't think it's a, a mess. I, I believe it's just a rushed decision in general. That's my overarching take over the... Um, event being um, moved without the fighters' consents and without the fans, um, you know, obviously they wouldn't have the approval, but without fan compensation, I just feel like it was a rushed thing. And the UFC does pay back fighters and they do pay back fans in the long run. So I believe that there was no malintent in that case. But I can't say the same for the drug testing issue. And with California and Nevada, um, no, California and Nevada going against each other. We all know that the, well, in the inside MMA sphere, we know that the athletic commissions compete with each other for money. 
It's been a long-standing joke that the Nevada State Athletic Commission will do anything for money. Floyd Mayweather comes up to mind. And that the rules don't necessarily work in that state when it comes to big budget fights. But in this case, drug tests came up and they cited on the cautionary instead of the hasty decisions, which always struck me weird, but sort of also nefarious on the California side. California will say, oh, well, you don't want to have your, Vegas won't host your fights. Well, we will. We have a built-in excuse from our hearing last week and blah, blah, blah. We can sell this story to you, picograms and whatnot, but we'll take that business. You just took an event from us. You owe us, sort of. You know what I mean? These backhanded deals is something that a lot of people aren't talking about a lot. What? is the incentive for California to have this event to allow John Jones to fight and things like that. Not necessarily lean towards the nefarious, but I do think it's something to think about. Another thing to really, really think about that no, I've heard no MMA journalists and no outlet speak about are the changes in rule sets from one state to the other. The fighters are now fighting under completely different rule sets with completely different medical requirements, which I have seen in the media. And now they're expected to compete under these new rules. And, of course, I will mention this. I did rewatch the John Jones fight, and it didn't seem like a very prevalent issue in the Alexander Gustafson fight in the beginning, the first initial contest. But John Jones has won some of the most fouls for eye pokes in UFC history. These eye pokes will cost points in the state that he's fighting in now. He will no longer be able to be warned. They will immediately take a point. And when that happens, you have to now change your whole game plan. A new piece of information is on your mind. Not saying that John Jones is a dirty fighter. Of course he isn't. But at the end of the day, that is a narrative in 90% of Jones's fights. And everyone else. We've always had these weird controversies with its um, illegal knees. And now all the fighters have to deal with that again. Moving from state to state. On a whim, by the way. I know it doesn't seem to be th- that big of a deal to a lot. But as to somebody who competed in high school wrestling. Not, you know, I'm not a you know Olympian or anything. But changes to the rules and changes to the environment matter. And I hope... That it doesn't affect any of the fights. I hope we don't have a knee situation where, oh, if we were in Nevada, it would have been illegal. You know what I mean? Those type of situations. Also, there's this, this notion of favoritism for John Jones that keeps popping up. And I'm going to go back to talking about Mir and um, a lot of those other guys who've had positive cases with USADA. We want everything to be across the board fair. We want everything to be even, no matter who's the participant and what the substance is. But with these drug cases, they are taken case by case with USADA. They don't look at Frank Mears' case and determine, oh, Frank Mears is a bad guy, so we give him less sentence. Or more sentence. Oh, Josh Barnett, he popped before, so he has to get over um, the maximum sentence. So if this is the case, 
why now does USADA come out and say that the amount that John Jones took was insufficient to performance enhancing and that we believe that he didn't readjust anything? Belief and facts and proof are completely different things. And because of that small notion, that makes me believe that there is some type of either changing to new different rules or new sciences coming in or we're using the science when we choose to or we're not. Or there's some type of favoritism. Favoritism seems to be the mo- the apist decision to go with. So I'll invoke not to choose that one. And any of the other ones you can put in for my personal opinion. But I think favoritism is a cop out. And I feel, you know, we're all intelligent human beings. We can bring up a smarter decision than USADA likes John Jones. Or USADA paid John Jones off. Or, or the reverse. John Jones paid USADA off. I just don't think it's that simple. This whole situation is a mess. It's a whirlwind. It's, it's, it's just foul at some angles. But at the end of the day, this is something that the UFC determined that the fans wanted. They thought that we needed a fight this weekend between John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. And I believe that we do. I thank them for that. But a lot of people have to suffer to make this happen. And I just wish that wasn't so. Keep good, keep on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to the Punchy Panda podcast all about UFC 232, Fallout and moving and drama and picograms and pictograms. One thing I did want to put in this wrap up is that there's been a lot of collateral damage of from this event and the media should not be one of them. We can't take our frustration out on the media not getting our questions answered. And we can't take our frustration out on the media who are asking the tough questions. It's not their fault that John Jones has traced micro I have to read it off of my notes. Micro traces of long term metabolites in his system and it's no one's fault that the UFC moved the card. It's not the media's fault. They're doing their job And that includes to the fighters. A lot of fighters have been professional and I appreciate that. And thank you so much for it. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Punchy Panda Podcast. You're getting another one tomorrow. So listen up. Don't worry about it. It's coming from all angles. The rest of the card. New Year's Eve. Floyd Mayweather's not fighting for these U.S. fans. Sorry. (laughs) Seriously, hit me up. Keep good. Keep on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to the Punchy Panda Podcast. Punch up.